One of life's greatest questions is, what happens to us after we die? Is death the end or a new beginning? Welcome to the Round Trip Death Podcast. In this show, we listen to first-hand accounts of people who have gone beyond the veil and return to talk about it. We have with us today, we are so happy to have Ellen Weir with us. And I'm going to read just a couple of things from her bio here. She is a board-certified music therapist with an MA in counseling psychology. And we're going to find out what that means in just a minute. She also had a near-death experience when she was a child, and that's the main thing that we're going to be talking about. But first of all, Ellen, I hear you're going to be in a documentary. What do you know about that? I know. It's so exciting. I, I actually filmed it in Hollywood. It was quite an exciting experience. And it's all about beyond the grave and perspectives of life after death. And uh, they brought in a couple of near-death experiencers like me, and we discussed what we experienced on the other side. It was such an honor, such an honor to be a part of it. It'll be out in a few months. Do you know what it's called? Are you allowed to say? It's called Beyond the Grave. Tell us a little bit about more about you. I know you live in San Diego, and what do you do down there? I'm a music therapist. I live in San Diego. I have a master's in counseling psychology, but it's spiritual counseling. So in San Diego, I lead various different in-person workshops with singing bowls, music journeys that are similar to shamanic journeys. And my goal in life is to take people to that place that I experienced on the other side. So give them a little glimpse of heaven. (laughs) Can people get any more than just that little glimpse without actually going to the other side? You know, it's interesting. I think that's a yes and no answer. I think there are no limitations on what people can tap tap into on this plane. Really, and honestly, when people are truly connected to source, I believe they do get a full version of that near-death experience that I had. Um, On the other hand, it's the most loving, pervasive, indescribable experience of your life. So in that sense, it's almost like, how could a human ever experience it? But we do. We have little moments of that connection to remind us of who we are, where we come from, and that we are not alone. That is great to hear. Okay, what does music therapy mean? Music therapy is simply connecting with people through music rather than language. So instead of traditional therapy that I was trained in, where you talk about your issues, you're really experiencing improvisational music or journeying through the music or, you know, playing music in a group or drum circle. All of these things can be massively transformative for people. And I use this technique and others to help people get into that place of awareness similar to an altered state of consciousness where they just travel and experience the messages they're supposed to come through with. And oftentimes I'll bring in messages of my own that I receive from source in these sessions. I've been getting increased messages over the last three years during COVID, and I'm writing a book about that as well called um, Waking Up in Heaven, What the Angels Are Trying to Tell Us. So I bring that element into my work as well. That's a great title. I love that. Thank you. Well, let's go back in time a little bit and um, to your childhood. Tell us how old you were and what led up to your NDE. Well, I was 12 years old. I used to love to ride horses. And I was on this particular day at my first Western lesson. And my parents dropped me off and I was riding and the cinch slipped 
and I was kicked in the head by a horse. Eventually I fell off the horse, was kicked in the right temple. I was uh, taken to a hospital there in Hillsborough um, and was found to be in a coma. And then they transferred me to the Waco hospital so I could have a better neurological team. My parents were told to play music at my bedside to try and you know, stimulate my mind and kind of move me out of the coma. And on the fifth day, they chose a Disney movie that was predominantly classical music. And it was during that movie um, that I experienced my heavenly experience. So I only know this because I woke up as the credits were rolling. So that was kind of a cool experience. But I found myself on a raft of sorts. At first, Jesus was in front of me, and there was a man in long brown robes on the left side. I didn't recognize him, but I knew I felt safe and comforted, and the raft was kind of wooden. I was only there for what felt like a short time, and then I was taken into this place of light, and the place of light was beautiful. At first, I saw glimpses of colored trees and different colored rivers, and I heard music that I'd never heard before. And then all at once, I just became the light. It started to wrap around what I felt was my essence. I didn't have a body there. I started to feel the weight of it. I started to feel it moving more deeply into my energetic field. And then I just became light and love. Nothing else mattered. All the things I worried about on earth were gone. I was connected with source. It had no name. It was just complete love. Absolutely amazing, complete love. And then I was taken back to the raft and I had a conversation after that, that brought me so much insight about how to live life, what we're here to do, uh, what matters and what doesn't. And then I chose to wake up. So for me, I don't know that all are given that choice to wake up, but I was so fortunate to have received that. And there was no right or wrong in that choice, no right or wrong at all. I could have stayed and everything would be fine, but I was shown the trajectory of my family, particularly my father and, and my brothers. And I was told they wouldn't actualize their life on this lifetime if I were to choose to stay in heaven. And so there was no feeling or human construct around it at all. I just decided I'm going to stay. And the moment I made that choice, I just fell into the deepest, most beautiful gratitude. I fell on my knees in front of Jesus, who was in front of me. I, I felt my heart just open up, and I knew that I was here to heal people with music. And I made a vow that I would do that. I would come back. I would heal people with music, and that I would give gratitude every night to be alive. And that is a huge lesson that I never forgot, this lesson in gratitude and how when we live in gratitude, we can create our life and manifest that which we really and truly desire and need and step into our higher path. And then I remember everything going dark and seeing the music notes in the sky, like in the darkness. And the staff was just, it had moving notes, each of a different color. And it got closer and closer to my head until it went through my head. And then I heard this tiny little pinprick of sound and I couldn't see anything, but I heard the sound and I just pulled that sound to me. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. I wasn't sure I was actually hearing it. It was just, it was almost I think similar to the way people talk about pulling back into their body and how that's a really difficult choice and time to really use all of your energy to get back to that point. But that's what I did. Then the music was booming in my head. 
just loud as anything. It had gone from almost inaudible to just booming. And then I opened my eyes and I was in the ICU and the nurse came running over and then I slipped back out of consciousness for a while. But it was an amazing experience and it's really come full circle in my life. I've been shown who the man on the raft was that was on my left. I've been validated in every way. And the more connected I stay with my story, the more messages come through for me regularly. I have a hundred questions. <laughs> you went really fast through all that. I did. Let's... I'm used to sharing it in a quick way. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We have time here to dig into it. So okay. let me let me go back and ask you a few things first. I'm trying to think that of the Disney movie with classical music. Was it Fantasia? No, it was oh. the Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> Sleeping Beauty. Okay. It's based on Tchaikovsky, you know, Sleeping Beauty Suite, which is a ballet. And it is almost, I, I think I've heard it said that it was 90% or more music. And so the, I remember the music being what connected me in that last moment and the power of it to connect, bring my brain back into my body was just amazing. Okay. We're going to have to go back to the old sleeping beauty and hear some yeah. of that music. Tell us about the raft and the man. You said you found out who he was. If you don't mind telling us, who was he? I am happy. I am happy to tell you because I feel really honored to be connected to these masters, to to first have had Jesus come to me because that's what I knew and that's what I grew up with. The man in the robe on the left, I didn't know who he was until I went to grad school. I chose to do music for my undergrad, and I knew that I needed a psychology degree with my music therapy degree. So I chose to go to Naropa University, which was founded as a Buddhist university in Boulder. It's fully accredited, but they focus on altered states of consciousness, uh, deep transformational work, experiential, humanistic, Jungian kind of theory. As I was walking up to my meditation class, which was part of our training, the first week that I was there, I saw a depiction of Buddha and he was young and thin and bald with long brown robes. And I recognized him from my experience right away. And I knew that it was validation that I was in the right place for my training. I was in the right place in my life and that I was going to come full circle back to that. And my time at Naropa really held me in that sacred space of connecting with my purpose. And up until that time, when I was 12 to, you know, I guess I was 12 to about 1920, I was integrating my near-death experience, but I wasn't actually living in my purpose. And so this was my way of knowing I was moving into my purpose. And it, it was an amazing place to go. Amazing. So it was Buddha. And interestingly enough, he came back to me during a transition in my life um, a few years ago with a symbol on his head and Jesus was there too. It was right before I went to my first near-death experience conference. Um, I was leading a meditation in a, a spiritual center. And during the meditation, they both came back to me and Jesus this time was all ornate sitting in a throne. I was sitting in a throne across from him and Buddha was to his left, uh, to his right, my left, with a symbol on his forehead and it was almost, to me, significant of moving into my power in my path. And so when they come to me, it's it's really, really beautiful gift. And I'm thankful for it. 
Um, you mentioned in your NDE meeting or talking to Jesus. Tell us more about that. Well, when he communicated, it was through his mind and it was really a feeling more than anything with Jesus. It was just feeling of absolute love and acceptance and compassion that, that all encompassing acceptance was a big theme for me. But when he communicated with me, it was very simple. It was just, I was given the choice. Would you like to stay here in heaven or do you want to go back and live on earth? And again, there were no expectations on me. I could have chosen either way and I knew that it would have been fine. So I think I was given the gift of removing the human construct from that experience because as humans, we have, oh, it's right to live. We need to live. Um, we, it's a, you know, we have that and that's beautiful and that's what we have. But in that moment, there was no right or wrong. And I was shown that we learn our lessons in this human experience by choosing to come in and learn and do with what we are given and what we choose to come into. And so I knew that if I had not chosen that, I would have come back and done it in another way. But the moment that I chose to stay free of any persuasion of any kind, that's when I was given the gift of gratitude and that gift of gratitude and being in the human experience and being able to feel that love on a physical form. Now that I think was the bridge between heaven and earth is this grateful experience where we are in the embodiment of what heaven and light worlds are all about. So explain what gratitude and love have to do with each other. So I think that gratitude is the most powerful expression of love. I believe that in gratitude, we aren't holding any desire, any anger, any resistance, or maybe we are and we're training ourselves out of it through gratitude. But gratitude has this ability to take us out of our view of the world, our thoughts, which shape our reality and really shift our experience into collaborating with source. So I feel like gratitude is the most powerful thing that we can do. I've been told that San Diego is kind of a center for gratitude and an unspoken spiritual center. And I feel really grateful to live here, but it's that being able to find gratitude in every moment that we can really shift our consciousness into something greater. You mentioned what um, the man in the brown robe, which you found out was Buddha, that that's how he was dressed. Were you able to see how Jesus was dressed? Yeah, Jesus was in white. He, when I saw him as a child, when I would say my near-death experience, he was wearing very plain white robes. And more than anything, it was his loving essence and his eyes that really captured me. This just loving gaze and acceptance. When he came back to me later, he was in more ornate white and gold kind of trimmed robes in a very ornate throne. Anything else you can remember about his eyes? The love. I mean, 100%, the expression of love in his eyes was the most remarkable feature. I don't very often hear about people from their NDE having, having an experience with Buddha and Jesus at the same time. So I'm I'm just curious, did you find any interaction between them that you can remember? They were there together, almost like the feeling of brothers. And, 
You know, it doesn't make sense, especially since I didn't know much of Buddha at all as a child. I grew up Methodist and didn't really know. And I definitely didn't see him as a young, thin, bald version of him. I saw the big Buddha when I knew of that. Um, And I don't remember much from before my accident either. So, you know, there's no telling what I may have may or may not have known as a child. But I feel like that raft was a transitionary place where I was met with loving guides who were there to protect and help me feel safe before being taken into the light. And, you know, for me, it makes sense now because my experience of the light was all love. There's no judgment. There's no, it's not like, you know, in my view and perception of Jesus and the Christ consciousness, which I work a lot with now, in addition to like all the love and light that we have, right? That's a huge part of it. And I know that there's no judgment there. There would have been no judgment toward Buddha. There would have been acceptance of Buddha and the philosophies and mentality that he brought to the world, which were also profound about living in the present moment. Because when we are in presence, we are, not stuck in fear of the past or the future. We're actually living in, in life, which is what we're meant to do. We move out of our thoughts, which have this ability to create our whole existence. I mean, that's a lesson that goes hand in hand with Christ consciousness and Christ's teachings. So to me, in a way, it almost makes sense and showed me, hey, we all work together. You know, there's, there's not just one way. There are many ways. And Our strength is in our ability to accept and love everyone for their unique contribution and gifts to the world. I like that. You also mentioned having a conversation where you learned a lot. Tell us about that. It was not a conversation, but more of what I would call a download. All at once, all of the information about how to live, why we're here, what's important. Um, It just came to me in a flood after I had that moment of gratitude. So it was almost like it was all happening at once. I was in gratitude and then the floodgates released and I just received lifetimes of information. We're all here for a reason. We're all here right now for a reason. We uh, choose how we're coming in and our life experiences. We learn lessons by coming here. Our thoughts create our reality. I mean, the, the list could go on and on. I tried one time to like create this series on the Awake TV network, which is out there where each week I would come during COVID and be like, here's another lesson from the raft. Um, but you know, basically it just guides my life, all the lessons that I learn. And the gratitude piece is another huge piece of the puzzle to live in this gratitude and to always find gratitude in whatever experience you're having in life, whatever it may be. And trust me, I've been through quite a few of my own very difficult dark night of the soul awakening moments in my life. Finding that gratitude is really helpful to move through it. So in what way does it help you get through? I know you've had other trials in your life. In what way does it help you? Gratitude help you get through those hard times? You know, for me, ever since I came back, uh, it's been about finding meaning, recognizing and acknowledging the meaning in everything. And so I would be not serving myself if I were to take a huge lesson in my life, like the divorce that I went through. 
and become devastated and closed off because of it. And I was devastated. I was shocked and devastated at first. But as I went through that experience, and by the way, the light beings came back to me the night that my husband asked for a financial separation. They came back to me. They brought me all that light from the other side. And I was told, you don't have to be loved by one person to know that you're loved. When I received that message, I realized, yes, that is the lesson. That's the first lesson in this is that I'm loved and I'm surrounded by love. And we all are at all times. That is a gift to us that will never end. We are loved beyond concept and human construct. We can never understand the amount of love available to us. So when I received that message, I was able to start to see the gifts that were coming from the experience. I was learning to be um, more strong within myself, step back into my authentic path, live fully out loud the way that I was taught to live. So then as I started to focus more on gratitude, more good things started to come to me, more opportunities to share my near-death experience. I even got an invite for the Dr. Oz show. I didn't end up doing it, but it was like two days after this separation, like he said, he wanted to, you know, and I chose divorce. So all of these signs of validation just started showing up. And I realized that there's got to be a reason for this. And I know now looking back, you know, hindsight is 2020. But these lessons that we go through, the quicker we can find gratitude, the more quickly we can understand the meaning behind them and internalize the lesson so we don't necessarily have to go through it again, <laughs> which we do, right? Over and over in life, we have the same message. But right now at this time, I've, I've received so many messages in the last two weeks about how we are in what I like to call like the big kind of a big finale for lessons in our life where like a magnet source is pulling up all the things that we maybe haven't looked at um, from our shadow and the shadow of others from the point of creating boundaries for ourselves to the point of like sharing our story, right? These are the things that are coming up and we're being asked to identify what is coming up and do we choose love or do we choose fear? How do we respond to these situations that come up? Well, gratitude helps us stay in love and make choices out of love because when we're grateful, that's the whole perception in which we see the world. We see the value. We see the greater meaning. And then we can choose to respond in love because this unity between us, this connection that we all have, I mean, that's part of the human experience of what hurts one hurts another. And right now there's so much division that it's really going to take a big shift to come back into gratitude for our culture. And it is coming. It is definitely coming. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that because I see the big division and I don't know how it's going to come back together. So it will. Uh, I'll let you figure that part out. Yeah. Hey, how old did you say you were when you had this near-death experience? I was 12. Let me ask you this. Who did you talk to first about the near-death experience and how did they react to it? Um, I, gosh, it's all such a blur as I was recovering. I remember sharing it with my parents and sharing it with my youth minister and some of my close friends. It was interesting because I didn't necessarily remember who everybody was when I woke up. I, I lost a lot of my memory from my childhood and I forgot, but I figured out really quickly that I could read people's energy and I knew if they were... And, and most everybody was good and had good intentions and wanted to help. Um, 
but I shared it with some people and pretty quickly I started to realize that not everybody understood near-death experience. They would say it was a dream. You were in a coma, you know, and then, and even the gifts that came back with me, like seeing light beings around people and getting messages for people wasn't always understood. It kind of became like, I thought everybody could do that. So when I came back, I was like, I would share that stuff and it would be really fun. But then I realized over time, I really needed to be intentional about who I was sharing with because I didn't want them to in some way nullify or diminish my experience. And so for a long time, I actually held my near-death experience in and didn't share it for decades um, out of fear that people would think I was crazy or I had been dreaming. But there was one day where I was invited to speak at a Unitarian Fellowship in San Diego. And the video is out there on the YouTube channel, on the Near-Death Experience channel. Um, and I was invited to do a two-minute talk on what will I do with my so-called precious life. It was from a Mary Oliver film. Or what will I do with my wild and precious life? And it was at that time that I decided, well, the near-death experience was the single most impactful event of my life, hands down, at that time and still is. Why would I not share that? Why would I not bring that forward to people? Because I was given that experience as a gift. And so, you know, for me, really integrating the messages of the near-death experience did take a while, but I think that they would have been sped up if I had been accepted and understood and my gifts had been seen for a gift, which is what they really are. I'm hoping that that today one of the messages that can come out is a little bit of instruction for parents or healthcare workers or friends of children that have near-death experiences because like you said, and I've heard from other people, hey, you know, if I brought it up, they said it was this or that, or I was crazy, or so I just buried it for a long time, and that's not healthy. And it is a gift when these things happen. So what would you tell, first of all, to parents who maybe have a child that's gone through something like this? Well, I would probably tell parents to think about the psychology of a near-death experience because when I did my, my training, we learned that in altered states of consciousness, when the body experiences joy, it experiences it as if it's real because the mind is in a totally different state, right? Maybe a theta state or something. Well, with a near-death experience, it goes beyond that for sure. It's not quite the same, but if you recognize that it is real for the person who has experienced it and it completely changes a life trajectory from the moment it happens, this person comes back with a knowledge and understanding about the world that was not there before, understands source and spirituality on a whole different level, has seen things that most people do not get to witness in their lives, like the hierarchy of the angels or the colors of the sounds, right, of this place of light. That is a true gift that should be nurtured and cultivated and honored, really, regardless of how we see it from our limited human construct. <laughs> so I would say parents embrace it. And I would guess it would start with parents. Hey, if you don't believe in this kind of thing, you need to be a little bit more open-minded because mm -hmm. even if your child was only six or 12 or 15 or whatever, 
they just may have had a real, real experience. And so you need to help them validate that. Absolutely. And you can tell in the energy of that being like that child, when they wake up or they come back into the world, they're not the same. And you can tell, you can instantly tell when people have had that experience and that connection. So if you know nothing else or believe nothing else, believe in your ability to connect with the energy of that person. So what if you are a nurse or a school psychologist or a teacher or something, and a child comes and tells you about something like this, how should you react to it? Well, I mean, I believe nurses probably see this more often and have internalized and accepted this as a phenomenon, as a experience. Um, but, you know, I would just say to stay open from a psychological perspective, you know, that's why I went into transpersonal counseling, because it brings the spiritual element of human existence into the picture and, you know, behavioral and you know, behavioral and psychoanalytic, all these types of psychology really don't hold space for that. So if you're a school counselor, I would say recognize that encompassing and embracing all of the child, all of the person means their belief system and their spiritual background. And just be open to the fact that this may have really happened to them, even if it seems a little crazy to you. And we're living in a time where this type of thing is accelerated. So more and more is happening and more and more people are accepting and understanding these different realms of existence, this different understanding of spirituality just on their own because we have been assisted and we are elevating and we are expanding in consciousness. We're moving into a new golden age. It's all happening now. Taking a little bit different uh, train ride here now. We had an artist on this podcast recently, and he said that he tried to paint some of the things that he saw uh, during his near-death experience, and there just weren't the colors in the palette that he needed. Yeah. You mentioned you saw amazing colored trees and rivers. Can you try to explain those to us? You know, it was it was so fleeting. I remember having an impression of it. They were not normal colors. It was beautiful. It was... Um, the color was the colors of the river were light. They weren't blue and everything was backlit as if it were, you know, points of light coming through in colors. And I've since come to, to believe and recognize that we are all made of points of light and, you know, we, everything is made of light and other experiencers have talked about that too, that, you know, we create this world for ourselves the human construct that keeps us feeling safe, but it's all, we are all made of light. So the colors on the other side were, I would say more pastel if I were to describe them in our language here. But again, it's not colors I'd ever seen before. And only one that I've seen since. And there's a kind of this backlit turquoise color. That's kind of a new color in the world and it showed up to me in visions back this January. And I feel like there's a significance to this turquoise color and it's healing something somehow. I don't know what to say about that. I'm trying to picture it. Yeah, I know. And the colors and the lights come into my work a lot. And for a long time, I would see in my workshops kind of a white light coming down and activating different energy centers in the body. And each center would have a different color, like a rainbow. And then more recently, and then the violet, violet flame color started coming through on its own about the end of 
2021. No, the end of 2020. And then now it's this golden ray. The golden ray is what I see coming in to heal people. And that's been huge for the last six months. And then most recently, just barely started happening, this um, kind of silvery blue sparkly color, kind of an electric color has started coming into my work and I'm seeing it around people now. So that's a new color too. It kind of holds some of the energy of that turquoise color, but you can tell that I get a lot of visions when I'm with people and working with them. I'll sometimes see ascended masters come in and step into their body and it has everything to do with them and not me. Like they're calling in their presence, their source energy to help heal them or connect them with messages. And I just get the honor of witnessing it and helping them to, to connect with it. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. Lastly, I'd like to talk more about music. Okay. How does music fit into all this? Music is a universal language. It's um, we can express emotions that conscious thinking cannot through music. And so it's a way of bypassing the thoughts. And I feel like so much of the human experience and suffering has to do with the thoughts that we engage and we allow. Because the more that we believe our thoughts, the more we see it everywhere and we see negative things if we think them. But when we're in positive thoughts and positive psychology and affirmations and things like that, we actually call more of that to us. Music has the ability to either take us deeply with an emotion to express it um, without getting caught up in the thoughts, or it has the ability to take us into a new level of experience where we're completely out of our thoughts. And so my journeys, which again are more kind of spiritual journeys, that's my work, um, is I use the music. So I start with the crystal singing bowls and high frequency things like oils to help people get there into their intention. And then I move them through an induction of light and color. However, it comes through, I invite the masters in and spirits, guides and ancestors and higher versions of themselves and masters, whatever. And then I start a music program and the music program then is to engage the imagination of the journeyer, right? Or the participant. And then they are able to leave their conscious mind behind, move into the music. And the way this works is very cool. Music holds a, an innate structure, especially classical music, right? So the, the structure of the music keeps us in this timeline, but then the emotionality and the energy of the music takes people into a transpersonal timeline where they can then connect with their messages. So as people have done studies on this music, there were all these LSD studies back in the 70s by Groff, right? And we studied this in grad school because we studied altered states of consciousness and the power of these journeys to move someone and shift their consciousness into a higher level. Well, the parts of the brain that lit up with LSD, amazingly, when you put with certain music programs, the same parts of the brains would light up. So people would receive these transcendental messages and information and visions through the music instead of having to take LSD. And so when that was discovered and LSD was kind of outlawed in the psychological world, people started using these music programs to do it instead. And so each program has been studied for a different 
like mindset. So one of them is nurturing and compassion. Another one is past life. Another one is about the earth, you know, and grounding. Another one is about expansion of the mind, uh, transformation, grief, all these things that you can then use music programs to, to bring about. What does it do to us if we're spending a lot of time listening to very, I'll call it negative music. I, I don't, I don't know what to call it, but just headbanger, I guess the opposite of classical music. You know, the studies say in music therapy that certain types of music can cause, you know, aggression in animals. But for me, my stance on it is that if someone is connected to music in an emotional way, I can't see how that is bad, right? Like I, I don't buy into the belief that, you know, music will somehow harm us. I believe it was placed here to help us. Um, you know, I do believe in the power of positive language and th- stuff like that. But even then, like sometimes people just need to be met where they are. And music is the only way to do that. You know, maybe they have such deep thoughts or fears that it's too much to express through language, but yet they connect to music and can express it and get it out that way. So for me, I, I just, I don't buy into the, I, I follow the ISO principle, which means meet people where they are in the music. So there's no bad music. Not in my opinion. Well, I certainly believe that music can also bring us closer to God. You know, the right kind of music definitely can. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's about all I have as far as questions. What other message do you have for people out there? Well, I, I received a really big vision just two days ago, and it's been a, impactful for me. Uh, there's a lot of this negativity being pulled up, people's lives moving into disarray. So many people going through physical journeys of health, like uh, job and career changes, relationship stuff. Everything is happening now. So my advice to people would have to do with this with this vision that I got, I was in between sleep and wakefulness and I saw these waves of color hitting the earth. And I don't know anything about Elohim, Elohim, Elohim. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. In some Christian religions, Elohim is the word for God, the father. Oh, wow. So if that helps some. That's very cool. It does help. But what I saw was these waves of color, gold, green, blue, violet, white, one after the other, waves of color hitting the earth. And within those waves of light and color were light beings coming to help support and assist us. And I received the message that they're coming out of love. And I wrote it down, so I want to read it, actually. So there were seven waves. There were seven waves of color, each being different. They were coming to, into earth in the order of the color to support mankind out of love. And I was told we are all the children. We truly are their children growing up here and maturing here, learning lessons. And they want to us to ascend to be with them. They're ready for us to come. And so... By saying they, I mean source, you know, that's that one way I say it. It says here, 
they told me they haven't that we haven't been ready yet. So they're sending in support so we will be ready faster because they want so desperately to reunite with us. They're doing what they can like any kind loving parent would do, giving us a boost or rather a big boost. And then at the end of this vision, I saw that we were moving from basically from toddlerhood to adolescence. So like skipping a huge part of the spiritual journey to get to where we need to be. And I was really comforted by that. And I want to share that with others too. That's really interesting. Thank you. And thanks for being on the show today. Thank you very much. It was an honor. If you have had a round-trip death experience, we would love to hear about it. Send an email to eric at roundtripdeath.com. And lastly, if you have found this program uplifting, if it's given you just a little more hope in the future, share it with a friend, hit that follow button, and take a few seconds to write us a review. Until next time, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next. <music>